my buddies up on a, a hiking trip to Mount Sneffels. Mount Sneffels was the highest peak in the San Juan mountain range, which was uh, just this, this small, not really small, part of the Rocky Mountains. Um, but this mountain range, it was about an hour away from where we lived in Colorado. And he's like, yeah, like, come out. It's, you know, it's going to be a, a beautiful Saturday. Uh, we're going to go on this hike. We're going to hike Mount Sneffels. And so my, my buddies and I were like, yeah, like, we like hiking. We're from Colorado. Like, we're, we're down with this, right? It's, it's going to be a piece of cake. It's going to be easy. Well, Mount Sneffels was a 14, is a 14,157-foot peak. And we had no idea what we were getting into. This was not a hike. This was hell. <laughs> the problem was... None of us had really climbed a 14er, and we had no idea what was in store for us when he called us up, and he's like, yeah, let's hike Sneffels. Uh, one of my friends in particular, he was really confident. He was really excited, right? He's like, I can't wait for this. This is going to be awesome. I've never done anything like this. Um, when we showed up for the morning of the hike, he brought skateboarding shoes and a pair of blue jeans and had no jacket at all, right? And... Unfortunately, he didn't make it. <laughs> he did not make the hike. We got about a quarter of the way up the mountain. We realized, dang, this is really cold, even though it's spring, right? In Colorado, 14,000 feet up, it's, it's really cold, right? Especially in the morning. Brittany's nodding her head. She's from Colorado, too. So we get out, and we're hiking, and everything looks great. Everything looks easy. It's a trail. It's beautiful, right? And then suddenly... We look back in that one friend in his skateboarding shoes and in his jean, jeans, he's freezing his butt off, right? And he just, he can't make it anymore. Soon the path starts, starts getting rockier. There's bigger boulders in the way. It's not as easy as we thought it was, right? We got to start climbing on top of things. He's like, guys, I can't, I can't do this. I got to go back. Like, what are you talking about? You said you, were, you said you were down for this thing. You signed up for this thing. You were excited. You were more excited than any one of us, right? He's like, I can't do it. I'm not equipped. I had no idea what was happening, right? So he had to turn back. Uh, the funny part is the, the car was locked. So he literally walked all the way down the mountain and sat on the hood of this car for like three hours waiting for us with no jacket. It was an absolutely terrible experience for him, right? But why am I bringing this up? Why am I bringing up the fact that we, we hiked this mountain and it was nothing like we thought it was, right? There was uh, even parts on this trail where we thought it was going to be easy. We literally had to climb on top of things. And you look down, there's hundreds of feet. We could have fallen to our deaths, right? This was not what we thought. Well, something similar is happening here with Jesus and his disciples, right? They're not going on a hike, but, but keep in mind here, this is the last night before Jesus was crucified. This is his, his final moments to spend with his disciples. These are his, his last words to them before he's delivered up um, to be crucified for our sins. And it's during this time that he is warning them that if they follow him, the journey that's only hours away right, is not going to be an easy autumn hike in western Colorado. Right? He's warning them that this is going to be hellish, that they're going to have to scale a 14er. They're going to be judged. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be hated for his name's sake. This is not going to be easy for them. This is not going to be a breeze. So he's telling them this for what reason? Well, if we look at chapter 6, verse 1, we read it. He says, 
I'm telling you this to keep you from falling away. I'm telling you this now. I'm telling you that you're going to be hated. You're going to be judged. You're going to be persecuted. I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 1. Um, He's telling us this so that we don't turn away. He's telling us this now so that while we're a quarter of the way up the mountain, we realize, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not equipped for this. I'm turning back. This is harder than I thought. I don't have the right shoes on. I don't have a jacket, right? He's telling us this now so that it's not a surprise to us later. That if we are followers of Jesus, we're going to have challenges. If we are followers of of Jesus in 2019, right? That means that we're going to be people who have a king that the world hates. There's a couple of things here that Jesus tells us it's almost a reminder that he's, he's comforting us because he knows the time is coming. We're going to follow him and we're gonna be hated for it. There's three things that he outlines for us here in the scripture that we read. If we are followers of him, he encourages us that we are indeed a people who are chosen. And if we are followers of him, we are a people indeed who are changed. And if we are followers of him, We are people who are charged. So a Christian who is following Jesus, who has said yes to Jesus, who has given their life to Jesus, they're a people who has been chosen, who have been changed, and who have been charged. We'll unpack each one of those here. But what do I mean when I say as a follower of Jesus, we are a people chosen? Well, he says in verse 19, he says, if you were of this world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is interesting. When I was on my honeymoon, I had the, the opportunity to do something that, um, that I've never done before that I was really excited to do. It was go to a coffee farm. <laughs> so we went to a coffee farm in Costa Rica for our honeymoon. Um, and this was, this is literally something I've dreamed of. I'm, I'm a total nerd when it comes to coffee. While I was down there, I took my wife's phone. I was taking pictures of every single thing I could, right? I was totally, I was just in heaven, right? This is where all the magic happens. This is the farm. This is ground zero, right? When we were walking around, uh, this guy, our guide was explaining to us the process of picking a coffee bean and how it gets from the tree in the Costa Rican mountains to, uh, on your table, as the the thing that you're severely addicted to, right? That's me, that you can't function without. And he was showing us these these trees that have these little berries on them, right? And I don't think a lot of, maybe you guys know, but uh, I didn't really realize that uh, coffee was a a cherry. It's a fruit. It's not like a a bean, really. It it looks like a little red cherry. And he was explaining the process that all of the the hundreds of workers have to go through when they're picking a, a coffee bean off the tree They have to make sure that the bean is right. They have to make sure that it's not eaten by worms or or half eaten by a bird or anything, that it's not underripe or too overripe. It has to be just right. And what happens, they pick it off of the tree and they put it in their little basket and they carry it all the way back to the processing plant where it's washed and it's cleaned and it's separated from the skin, right? And that is why, um, that's how they make our coffee. This is interesting because 
when you're collecting the coffee bean, you have to be very selective. And you pluck it, you break it off of where it's from, and you put it somewhere else. And now that little bean, right, has a new purpose. It's not going to sit on the tree. It's not going to rot. It's not going to turn into soil or be eaten by birds. But it has a very specific purpose. The destiny of that little bean has been changed. It's going to be cleansed, shipped all the way across the world, right, so that we can enjoy it here today. When Jesus says, I have picked you, I have chosen you out of the world, I couldn't help but, but picture that imagery of Jesus walking through a field, about seeing the ones that he has chosen and picking it out and taking it back with him to give a new purpose to, to give a new destiny to, to change it, to clean it, right? To give meaning to. Peter echoes this in Peter's epistle to the church. He says, but you are a chosen people, indeed a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, he's reminding you here of how Jesus walked through the fields and picked you. He saw you. He loved you. He called you. He gave you a new destiny. He brought you back from where you were and he cleansed you and gave you a new purpose. Now you are not like the rest. He has a special intention for you. So that's interesting. If Jesus has picked us, if Jesus has taken us and, and decided to, to change us and, and create an entirely new purpose in us, that means that we are distinct. We are different from everybody else in the world. We have been removed from the kingdom that we've grown up in, that we've lived in, that we're born in, and we've been given dual citizenship to the kingdom of heaven. So now we're exiles, we're sojourners, right? We're still here, we're walking around, but this place isn't our home. Something has changed. It's not all about this life anymore. Something is different. Jesus has given us a new destiny a new purpose, and that is the purpose of heaven. That's his kingdom. He's chosen us and repurposed us. And sometimes this is hard. Sometimes this is hard because we don't want to be different. Sometimes this is hard because we, we don't want to look any different from the people around us, right? It, it's human nature. Something in us just needs to be Something in us needs to have community. It needs to not be different, to not feel excluded. I don't know if you were the kid that no one wanted to hang out with in, in middle school. Maybe you picked your nose or something. Maybe you smelled bad. So no one hung out with you. You just had to sit in the corner. Not a good feeling, okay? Trust me, I've been there. No, just kidding. <laughs> There's something in us that does not want to feel separated. There's something in us that is so ashamed and afraid of being an outcast right? And that's exactly what happens. If we are walking with Jesus, you will be an outcast in some areas of your life. If you are walking with Jesus, the epistles don't say, hey, congratulations, now that you're a Christian, enjoy your life of popularity and fame, right? Everyone's going to love you. Everyone's going to want to hang out with you and, and be friends with you, right? Is that what the epistles tells us? Is that what the Bible tells us? No. 
the Bible tells us, congratulations, now you're in exile. You're a pilgrim, right? Now you're wanderers without a home here on earth. You're like, man, scripture's really uh, given us a really good case to be believers, right? No. <laughs> the scripture and Jesus here is telling us there will be times where you're alone. There will be times where you're an outcast because you're different. And that difference is Jesus. And now this is a good reminder to us of where our true home is, right? If we are really plucked from the world, if we're really chosen by Jesus, this is a good reminder of where our true destiny lies, which isn't here, but it's in heaven, right? And I know it's hard sometimes for us to, to, to not want to look different. We try to resist, right? Maybe we don't want to uh, stop partying on the weekends. We don't want to give up smoking. We don't want to um, stop swearing, right? We just want to continue looking like everyone else. We want to continue acting the way that we did before we met Jesus because it's so much easier. It's so much easier not to stick out like a sore thumb. It's so much easier not to be judged by someone because you're different, right? First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17 John, the same guy that is writing this gospel for us, that has uh, penned and recorded this for us, he echoes in his um, epistle. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, this is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Jesus is warning us. He's telling us, yes, you're going to be judged. You're going to look different. But it's almost a fuel for us to pursue Jesus, to pursue this holiness because of what we have in store later, which is to be with him in heaven, in perfection. And he's telling us, you're going to be judged. You're going to be hated for my name's sake. But the end is so worth it. The end of being with me in heaven, in perfection, with me, is worth the endurance, is worth the trial, is worth the persecution, right? We are a people chosen by Jesus. So we've been chosen by Jesus, but he doesn't leave us how we are. Just like the coffee being plucked off of the tree, right? Is it just, okay, now it's ready, smash it up and drink it. No, there's a huge process of what happens from plucking it off the tree, right? Like I said earlier, you have to wash it. You have to let it dry, right? Huge process. But we are a people changed. Jesus doesn't leave us how we are when he finds us, but he invites us in to share his likeness. There's a long theological word called sanctification. It's not that scary. There's some theological words that are worse. But all that means is you're sharing in Jesus's nature with him. The more time you spend with him, the more time you spend in his word, at his feet in prayer, the more you start to be like him, right? I gotta be careful how much time I spend hugging my wife because then I'll, then I'll start smelling like her perfume, right? <laughs> And I don't want that. 
the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we start to smell like him, the more we start to look like him, the more he lives in us, the closer and closer we get to him and sharing his presence, right? And that's a beautiful thought. I wanna be more like Jesus. I need to be more like Jesus. It's like what John the Baptist said, more of him and less of me, right? Amen. But that comes with a cost because Jesus was hated. Jesus was an outcast here on earth. And if we become more like Jesus, if we're sanctified to be like Jesus, we smell like Jesus, that's awesome, that's amazing. But he's warning you, they're not gonna like it. The world is not going to like it. Verses 18 and 20, Jesus reiterates, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own because you're not of this world anymore, but I chose you out of the world, therefore it hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And if they've kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus is comforting the disciples because they know that they're, he knows that they're going to encounter hatred of the world for following him for being like him, for being sanctified, for smelling like him, for acting like him, for loving like he loved, they're going to be persecuted for that. They're going to encounter hatred because it's him. It's Jesus living in them. And the world hated Jesus. Do you remember in the beginning of John where John is saying, the darkness did not understand the light because it was afraid of being exposed. The more and more we have Jesus in us, the more and more the darkness sees it and trembles and is fearful, the more and more the darkness hates us. This is very interesting that even though we're so progressive, even though we're, we're, we're so evolved, right, that the world is still persecuting Christians, you would think that you know, the more and more we figure this thing out, the less we would be persecuting people for their beliefs, persecuting people for their uh, religion, right, their practices. You would think that now, by, by now in 2019, no one would care anymore and that Christians wouldn't be persecuted, right? But this is interesting, a fact that I came across here. In two millennia of Christian history, about 70 million of the faithful have had their lives taken for the faith. And of these, 45.5 million, which is 65%, were in the last century. The last century. Over half of the martyrs that have ever happened were in our century. Isn't that insane? Isn't that crazy? So if this was just a, a, a social fad, right, to, to behead Christians in Jesus' time, or to, I don't know, persecute this kind of people that the world didn't like. If the gospel isn't true, if the gospel is just a book that has no power to transform lives, that really isn't the true path to God and the true way to heaven, then why has over half of the, of the persecuted Christians happened in this last century? That doesn't make any sense, right? It seems to be getting worse and worse, not better and better. If that book in your lap has no threat to the kingdom of darkness, 
why are they still cutting Christians' heads off? It's more powerful than we think. And in America, we, we don't really realize this, right? The persecution that I have felt, probably the, the worst persecution that I've ever encountered, it was in high school. As soon as I became a Christian, I went back to public high school. And I was at my locker putting some things away, and I heard some girls snickering behind me. And they said, oh, there's the Bible thumper. Oh, did you bring your Bible today? <laughs> like they were laughing at me, right? That's about the fullest extent of the persecution that I've faced as a Christian. But understand, right now, in the world, can you go ahead and put up that slide for me? The map. The picture is, is really foggy, but right now in the world, that is the uh, opendoors.com, their world watch list for 2019. All of the yellow zones are the zones where Christians are persecuted. All of the orange zones are where they're heavily persecuted, and the dark orange or the red is where they're extremely persecuted. This is happening all over the world right now. I'd encourage you to look them up, um, opendoors.com, and they keep track of the, the, the nations that are persecuting Christians the most, and they give you um, ways to pray for these nations that are being persecuted right now. Can you show the other slide? And I thought this was interesting. It says, one in nine Christians experience high levels of persecution worldwide. During the World Watch List 2019 um, reporting period, in the top 50 countries, 4,136 Christians were killed for their faith. That's 11 Christians every day killed. 1,266 Christians uh, or churches or Christian buildings were attacked. And 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned for their faith. Right? If this book in our laps has no power, why is this happening? Right? And I know that in America, we, we, we're not being persecuted for our faith like this. We're not being executed in the streets or drug out without fair trial. We're not. But I can tell you that your kids in high school are persecuted enough to feel shame for being a Christian. I can promise you that. Um, every Wednesday for the past um, couple weeks here, I've been going to the high school right around the corner um, right after school, I bring pizzas, you guys, your tithes help pay for that, and we go to the Warriors for Christ, um, and we, we give them pizza, and it's a, it's, a, it's a small group within that high school where the Christian kids can get together and just share with each other their struggles, and they can pray for each other, and they sing a couple songs of worship, and they all go around sharing what the best time of their week was, what the worst time of their week was, right, and I just... It's such an amazing and sweet time there with those kids. And all of them have felt persecution. All of them in that high school right here have felt the pressure and the shame of what it means to be a Christian in 2019 in our area, Edmonds, Washington, right? Like we might not realize it, but in, even in that school, there's a pressure and an overall attitude towards Christians that were bigoted, small-minded, racist, sexist, homophobic, and hateful, full of hate. I don't know if you guys are aware of that or if you've, if you've felt that, right? But it, it's so funny because last week, one of the guys shared with us as, as we're just sitting in a circle talking with each other, having this intimate time with each other, praying for each other. Right? sharing the things that are, that are deep and heavy on our hearts. Right, It's such a, an intimate and a safe setting. And one of the guys remarked that the whole school thinks that Christians 
are hateful and racist. And he's like, look at the people in our group right now praying. See, this, this guy himself, he was Egyptian. He's from Egypt, right? There's a girl there that was Ethiopian. Two people were of Asian descent, right? The only two white guys there, there was a, a teacher who was married to a Chinese lady, and there was me who's married to a Mexican, right? I don't think we're racist. <laughs> he, was, he was just remarking how, wow, everyone here thinks that we're so hateful. Everyone here thinks that we're, that we're so evil. And really, this was like the safest place in the school. It was the safest place. Right? We were praying for each other. We were weeping for those who are weeping, rejoicing for those who are rejoicing. And yet the world thinks that they're just the most crooked and evil little kids. Right? It, it was so baffling to me. If the world really knew Jesus, how different would things be? If they really knew the love that he had. Right? But there's an enemy working against us. There's an attitude towards Christians that's completely false. It's because the darkness didn't understand the light and they hated the light, right? And Jesus is telling us here, he's saying, I'm warning you, I'm telling you that this is gonna happen. Do not be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Don't fall away. It's worth it. Keep walking. Keep being sanctified. Keep smelling like me. Keep at my feet. Keep in my word, even though the darkness is trying to extinguish you, trying to make you feel like an outcast, trying to make you feel like the, the stupid guy at work who, who isn't smart or has no intellect because you believe in a book that's thousands of years old, right? Jesus is saying it's still worth it. It's still worth it to follow him. It's still worth it to make that climb. The view at the top of the mountain is so exquisite. It's so amazing that the climb is worth it, right? And if that was true for Mount Snuffles, if that was true for just my small town in Colorado, how much more is it true for us when we endure the short little life and the small persecutions that we might have here in Edmonds, right? How much more worth it is it to be with Jesus in his kingdom? Not only are we a people called, not only are we a people changed and sanctified to look like Jesus, but we're a people charged. What do I mean by that? Well, since we belong to Jesus, he charges us. He gives us a commission to testify to the world about him. In verse 28, it says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says, you have a job to do. You are charged to go and bear witness. That's kind of a funny way of saying things. Bear witness. What does that mean, Jesus? It's a legal term. To tell what you have seen. The Greek word here is actually uh, martus. It's where we get the word martyr. Killed for your faith, right? To be martyred. Why were the past Christians, why were they killed for their faith? Because they witnessed to what they saw. That's it. They were witnesses to what Jesus did in their lives, and for that reason, they were worthy of death. That's all they did. 
Did they do these great crimes against history? Are they stealing things and, and robbing people and beating people up? Are they murderers? No, all they did was witness about the truth. All they did was share and tell about what Jesus did for them. I don't think we realize how much power is in our testimony. If the darkness is that threatened by us just sharing what Jesus has done for us, oh man, that's gotta be powerful, right? I think we take that for granted so often. When was the last time we shared our testimony or even something small, a small victory from heaven that Jesus has done for us with our neighbor, I don't know, someone that you cross paths with in the street, someone at the grocery store, do you really realize how much power you have in your testimony, in your witness to what you've seen? It's powerful enough to where the enemy hates you and wants to destroy you for it. That's all. You don't have to go rob people and kill people for the, for the enemy to hate you. All you have to do is open your mouth and tell what Jesus has done for you. That's all you have to do. That's how powerful, that's how weighty our testimony, our witness is to the world, right? But why would we want to share this message? Why would we want to share this to people, right? What, what Jesus has done in our lives. Why would we want to bear witness if it would bring us such a negative reaction to the world? Why? Because of the glory that's waiting for us because of heaven that's waiting on the other side of this, right? Jesus says it's so worth it. The small amount of persecution that we might face, it's so worth it. Um, Penn Gillette, the, uh, the magician, a couple of years ago, he had a really interesting interview. You guys have heard of Penn and Teller, right? He had a really interesting, uh, just a little recording that he did of himself. He was recording after a show. He said a guy came up to him and gave him a Bible after a show. And he said, you know, I'm a businessman. I'm not crazy. I don't want you to think I'm a, I'm a loon or whatever. But I wanted to give you this, and I wrote in it. And it was just a little New Testament with some Psalms. And he took it, and he read it, and he was genuinely moved. And in this little video where he's recording himself, he said, I have no respect for Christians who don't share their faith. Because if you really believe in a God who gives eternal life, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? This is an outspoken atheist who says, I have no respect for Christians who don't share their faith. Because if you genuinely believe, if you genuinely know that you know that you know, that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the way to eternal life, and apart from him, you can't know God, and there's nothing but death and destruction? He said, um, how much do you have to hate someone to not be willing to endure the awkwardness that you might cause? And I think really that's our biggest fear, is just being awkward, right? We're not really afraid that the person next to us in line is gonna kill us if we start talking about Jesus, right? I don't know which QFC you shop at, but that's not mine. We're afraid of being awkward. And he says, how much do you have to hate someone to not share that kind of news with them? Wow, that was really challenging, really convicting for me. He just like stabbed me right in the heart as I was watching that, right? 
This is an atheist who doesn't know Jesus and still he understands part of the gravity of the situation. Does this mean that in order for us to be more like Jesus, we have to go out and be antagonistic? Does this mean, hey, maybe I'm not being persecuted enough. Um, do I need to go cause more problems? Do I need to go cause a stir, right? Absolutely not. But it is challenging to us when we read that Jesus says that they will hate you for my name's sake. Have you personally, have you felt the pressure of being a Christian? Have you felt it? If you haven't felt it at all, it might be because you're not walking with Jesus as close as you thought, right? It's been said that if no one is trying to tackle you, maybe you're headed towards the wrong end zone, right? If you don't feel the pressure at all of the world, even in the slightest sense, maybe you're not walking with Jesus as closely as you thought because he promises here, he guarantees it here that the world will see it and the world will hate you for it, for my name's sake. So when was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time you prayed with someone? When was the last time you took what's in your lap into your life and acted it out, right? I'm just talking to myself here. I'm not talking to you guys because <laughs> I know that's convicting enough for me. The Spirit partners with us to bear Jesus' witness, to share with others, right? Um, there should be something distinct, something different about each and every one of us in this room, if indeed you have Jesus living in you. When I was in middle school, uh, I used to walk home from my, uh, I used to walk home from school. I, school wasn't that far away from home, so it was really no problem at all for me to just take off after school and walk home. Uh, one day they were redoing a little section of the road, and they left this like black gooey tar stuff on the road. And most people would just walk right by. But if you're a 10-year-old and you're like me, you're going to stop and you're going to be like, what is that on the ground? And I don't know what I ended up doing with this stuff, but it got all over my hands, right? It was just this gooey black tar stuff that was on the road. I ended up stepping in it and I tracked it all the way from, from where I was there all the way home on the sidewalk. There was little black spots of my shoe print, right? All the way at home, my mom is like, clean the carpet, look at this tar on the carpet. I had to use WD-40, by the way. You know, that's what works. But what was really interesting, at school, the teachers started noticing these little black spots in the hallway, right? And they looked in the classrooms, and they're like, hmm, right here, there's like a little collection of them right here. And in this classroom, there's a little con uh, collection of them right there. So they looked at the schedule, they're like, well, only one kid has only these classes, and that's Mr. Austin Mata. So I love this. They didn't even talk to me first. They did some research, and they talked to the kids that sat next to me in those classes. <laughs> like, this was like a, they must have been bored or whatever. There was like a whole research campaign against me, right? And they, like, interviewed some of the students, some of my classmates who were next to me just to make sure that they nailed the right one, right? And I remember, like, how did you, how did you guys figure out what it was me? And my, then the kid sitting right next to me, he's like, oh, I, I told him. I told him that it was you. <laughs> And the teacher was like, yeah, Lance, the, the kid next to you said you were picking it off of your shoe and sticking it on the ground. I was like, how did you get that information? What am I getting at here? If you are really a follower of Jesus, the world should be able to tell with every step that you take. 
with every step that you take, the world should know that you've been with Jesus. That means at work. Have you offered to pray with someone at work? Have you said, look, man, you might not be about this, but I'm a Christian. I know that your mom just died. Can I pray for you? Can I just pray for you? Do you share with your family? I'm a Christian. I know that's not what you believe. I don't care. But can we just sit for a minute? Can we just pray? I just want to encourage you that Jesus loves you. You might be feeling down, but Jesus thinks the world of you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Right? In school, to your classmates. People might think that they're fine without Jesus, but people are dying and they're sick and they're destroying themselves. And the people who hate Jesus most are the people that need him the most. Right? Never be afraid. Never be ashamed to speak truth into someone's life. Because just your testimony, just telling people about what Jesus has done for you is enough. Just witnessing to the truth is enough. It's so powerful that the enemy wants to kill you for it. Don't forget that. When it gets discouraging, when you're the only kid in your class who's a Christian, right? don't be discouraged that no one else likes you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be shamed into not opening your mouth. When you're the only one at work that believes in that dumb book that's 10,000 years old and you can't be an intellectual if you believe that, right? Don't be afraid. Jesus says the world will hate you for my name's sake. It's not your fault. It's mine, is what Jesus says. Don't be ashamed of it. It's on him. Walk in him. Be at his feet. Pursue him. Smell like Jesus. Step in him and walk all over the place, leaving little trails, little footprints of Jesus so that they know that it's him. We're going to go ahead and have communion so you guys can uh, come on up. Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us out of the darkness and into your light. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving us how you found us, but choosing to change us to become more like you. Thank you, Lord, for not being afraid of all of the junk that's in our hearts. Thank you for not being scared to do the dirty work in our lives, Lord. No matter how dirty and gross we were when we came to you, Lord, you didn't care. What did you say on the cross when you were crucified? It is finished. Even though you saw us at our darkest, Lord, you still decided that we were worth calling that we were worth dying for, even at our darkest, even with all the gross brokenness that we've tucked away, maybe that we haven't even told anyone, you saw it, and it was not too bad for you, Lord. You loved us anyway. You called us. 
changed us and you've charged us to be your witnesses, to be your examples, to leave little tracks of you everywhere we go. So give us strength, Lord, even though we might feel the pressure, even though we might feel the weight of being an outcast, of being unpopular. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Remind us of this charge to be your witness because it is so worth it to be in glory with you. It is so worth it to obey you now and be with you in eternity, even though we might suffer a little here on earth. So thank you, Lord Jesus.